0: Katie and Toby, thank you for that wonderful reminder. We always need to hear of God's wisdom and sovereignty and goodness as we live this life together. Well, it's wonderful to be with you once again. We had a little break in our current series last Sunday, but we're back at it this morning with part three of what's going to be a four-part series. We're calling Our Purpose, Our Pillars, and Our Foundation Here at Kerbo Bible Church, and so if you're a visitor today, it's a great time for you to be here. It's a great time for you to be checking out our church because we're really unpacking in these days kind of our our mission statement, uh, the pillars that hold that up, and then the foundation underneath that as well. And so we're making our way through, and this is part three. Webster's Dictionary defines purpose. This way, something one intends to do, an intention, an aim, a resolution, or determination. It goes on to say, a purpose is the object for which something exists or is done. And so if you've been with us, let's rehearse for a moment. Curve of Bible Church, you should have this down by now. We're going to memorize it, right? It's on the front of your bulletin. You can take it home with you. We're going to do this as a church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose, our intention, our aim, our determination. We anchored that to a key passage, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. And we said that this was our collective bullseye. This is what we would aim for as a church. It has a singular mission or a singular purpose. Glorify God. And it has a singular means. To fulfill that singular purpose by making disciples. So I want to just suggest to you a daily exercise, even as we begin this morning. A daily exercise as you wake up, as your brain powers up in the morning, and you begin to put your feet on the floor, say to yourself, I exist today to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything else Is secondary. It's a wonderful daily exercise. Get it on your mind right from the very beginning. I exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. We then move to our pillars. A pillar, according to Webster's, once again, is a long, slender, vertical structure used to support a superstructure. Well, we have four pillars that support this superstructure. Four pillars that show us how we should live as disciples and how we will multiply as disciples. Discipleship is when the lost are saved and the saved mature and the mature multiply. These four pillars show us how we will, in fact, multiply. If you take even one of these away... they're there on the front of your bulletin if you need a a graphic. But if you take even one of those away, the superstructure will topple. It will crumble. It cannot stand with one or two or even three of these pillars that must have all four. We've looked at pillar number one, which was passionate worship of Christ. We anchored that to John chapter one and Colossians chapter one and Revelation chapter five. And then we looked at pillar number two, which is a personal walk with Christ. And we anchored that to 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, where God says that we are to be holy as He is holy. And so today we cover the next two pillars in the amount of time we have left together. We look today now at sacrificial work for Christ, pillar number three, and loving witness to Christ, Pillar number four. So turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we just want to continue to anchor all of this purpose, pillars, and foundation in the Scriptures, of course. And so we will anchor today our sacrificial work for Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. And the last verse of this glorious chapter. This is the resurrection chapter. Paul unpacks various implications and applications of the resurrection of Christ throughout this chapter. And he comes to the end, and he says these words in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I just real briefly want to give you the... The who, the what, and the why of this verse. The who. Based on resurrection truth, Paul says here in verse 58, My beloved brethren. This is addressed to Christians. This is addressed to you if you are in Christ this morning. If you are one who has recognized your sin before a holy God, if you are one who has recognized that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, paying your penalty Then he was buried and then he rose from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord, this verse is for you. This is not a verse for pastors only, missionaries only, Sunday school teachers only. This is a, a verse for every single Christian, no matter your age. Therefore, my beloved brethren, that's the who, the what Is the command here to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the what? Work Work of the Lord. In the labor of the Lord. In the toil of the Lord. Based on the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Based on the fact that you are going to get a new body and rise from the dead. Based on the fact that you are loved by God and part of the family of God. Plant yourself be immovable and always be about the work of the Lord. Always, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then the why. Why, Paul? Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that it's not for nothing. Knowing that it will count for eternity. Knowing that it will last And it will please the Lord because it's not in vain if it's in the Lord. If our work is in the strength of the Lord. If our work is through the power of the Lord. If our work is for the glory of the Lord. Then it's not in vain. It's in vain when it's in our name. It's in vain when it's for our glory. It's in vain when it's in our own strength. And that's the kind of toil that is a waste of time and a waste of a life. But Paul says, if you're a beloved brethren, you can plant your feet on this truth, that you can always abound in the toil of the Lord Jesus, because this will count forever. We take that by faith. So here is an anchor verse for our third pillar, sacrificial work for Christ. If disciples are going to be made and God is going to be glorified, Christians must work at it. Christians must labor at it. Christians must sacrifice for it. We said a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is the model disciple, that Jesus is the prototype disciple. He was a disciple of his father. He always obeyed. He always did what he was told. Well, has there been anyone who exemplified sacrificial work better than Christ? Of course not. He is the model in this as well. One other anchor verse, Ephesians 4. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, turn over a couple of uh, books in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And we'll see some more insight into this work that we are to perform. Verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, the holy ones, as you, that's the beloved brethren of the other verse, for the equipping of the saints for the what? Work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. What this verse is telling us is that after Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to the church. Part of these gifts were actually gifted men. Whom he gave to the church. The temporary offices of apostles and prophets. Who became the foundation of the church. Paul has already told us that in Ephesians chapter 2. And then the permanent and ongoing offices and gifted people of evangelists and pastor teachers. But verse 12 tells us why Christ gave these individuals to the church. And why he continues to give these individuals to the church. They are in place... Whether they were apostles and prophets, or they are evangelists and pastor teachers, they are in place now to equip, outfit the saints for the work of service. They're not in place for the saints to watch do the work of service exclusively. They're there to equip the rank and file body of Christ to do the work of Christ to build up the body, as it says. So if you're a saint... You're not here to watch. You're here to what? Work. You're not here to watch me work. You're here to work. You're not here to get. You're here to what? Give. To whom much is given, much will be required. We are called to work then. Paul's example was this all through his letters. He uses words like labor, hardship, toil, striving, He speaks of working night and day and night and day. Paul describes the work of eldering as those who diligently labor among you. Labor among you. You read the writings of Paul, you find a man who is saturated with the book of Proverbs. Paul extolled discipline. He praised hard work. He held up the call of God on every person to carry your own weight. Carry your own weight. Bear your own burden, he says in Galatians 6. There are some weights that are too heavy for us to carry, and then we need help of the body of Christ. But there's a normal weight that we're all expected to carry on our own. Paul would say then, I think in our terms, don't be a freeloader. Don't ride through life as a Christian on someone else's work. All are called to work. Paul compared ministry itself to the toil of of the hard working farmer. This is an analogy he used with Timothy. Timothy be like the hard working farmer. What is farming? Plowing, sowing, weeding, reaping. Repeat process. Plowing, sowing, weeding, reaping. Is there any vocation that is More hard work than farming, year-round, round round the clock. Paul is telling us in that, that ministry is work. (laughs) It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's not an interest that you do if you can work it into your schedule, if it's convenient. We are called to work. And beloved, there is nothing easy about our purpose. We go back to the superstructure, glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. There's nothing easy about that. There's nothing in that purpose that's going to just come by happenstance. It's not just going to magically appear. No, glorifying God by making disciples takes sacrificial work. When we became Christians... We became employees of Christ. When we acknowledged his lordship, we accepted that we are slaves of Christ. When we became new creatures, we became ambassadors for Christ. If we confess him as Lord, then we're confessing ourselves as slaves. That's the way it works. And so all Christians are called to give. And they're called to spend, and they're called to labor, and they're called to toil in the Master's strength and for the Master's glory. Paul calls himself a fellow worker of God, a fellow builder of God. And this is what it takes to make disciples. This is what it takes to be a disciple. I ask you this morning, are you a Christian on perpetual vacation? Have you taken early retirement? Are you looking for heaven on earth? Are you are you trying to enter your time of rest when it's still the work day? See, if you're here, it's still the work day. Rest is in heaven. Rest is to come. Now is the time to work. We need to be just like Jesus in this. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, called all kinds of flack for it, of course. He said this to the Jews who were persecuting him. He said, listen carefully, these are the words, this is how to be like Jesus. He said, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. John five seventeen. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. In other words, Jesus, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Jesus is saying, I'm just doing my job. This is what I'm here for. I'm working. We praise military sacrifice. We praise police and firemen sacrifice, and we should. We praise motherly sacrifice, and we should. I'm sure you saw the story out of Houston of the mother who gave up her life. For that child to live, she drowned, the child survived. We acknowledge that, we commend that, we praise that, and we should. But I asked the question this morning what about great commission sacrifice? What about praising and acknowledging and commending great commission sacrifice? It should be as high as all of those others, if not higher. As I've been thinking about that word sacrifice, sacrificial work for Christ, it it has occurred to me that there are three areas, three areas of our life that must be sacrificed. If we're going to do sacrificial work for Christ. Let's get real practical now. Let's get even personal. There are three areas that you're going to have to sacrifice. Number one, we have to sacrifice our time. Our time. We like to think of it as our time. But it's really not. We're slaves of Christ. It's God's time. But we're going to have to sacrifice our time, our schedule, to do sacrificial work for Christ. It's going to impede on our free time, our dispendable time, our discretionary time. There's going to have to be a sacrifice made when I have a choice to do A or B. And my flesh wants A, and the Lord wants B. And I have to step back and say, whose time is this? The second area is we have to sacrifice our money. Our money has to be sacrificed to do the work of Christ. Not just a pittance toward the Lord every once in a while. Not just a token offering, a $5 bill on the offering plate on a six-figure salary. That's an insult to God. I would think he would probably say, just keep it. And we got to sacrifice our money if we're going to do the work of Christ. It takes investment. It takes money to serve Christ. And God asks us to do that. God commands us to do that. This is all through the Bible. The Bible talks more about money than it does about heaven. This gets to where our heart is, where our treasure is. What matters most to us is shows up in how we spend our money and what we invest in. And so if we're going to be disciples of Christ and mature disciples that are multiplying, we have to recognize it's not my time, it's God's time. It's not my money, it's God's money. I'm a slave. I don't have money. I don't have possessions. They're all his. He's the owner of everything. The third thing we must sacrifice, and often these will overlap. I don't know how you can necessarily separate them, but the third area is our comfort, our comfort. We've got to get up. We've got to move, we've got to sweat, we've got to hurt, we've got to expend ourselves. We've got to sacrifice time, money and comfort to do sacrificial work for Christ. It's not just going to happen. And we've seen so many examples of this all week. I know we've all been just fixated on what's been happening in our state. And wonderful uh, thoughts already this morning and prayers to that end. But as an illustration of that, I've been thinking about Houston and the coastal region and how much sacrifice of time and money and comfort has happened to rescue these folks physically, right? Right? How much sacrifice, and, and we commend that and praise the Lord for it. But as I've been watching those images on TV that you've been watching, I've been considering what's happening there, just, just four hours away, right? Three hours away. It occurred to me that this epic, thousand-year, unprecedented physical event, this flood and this storm that has been such a rare thing by its scope and its magnitude, it occurs to me that it is a physical, visible reminder of what is always the case spiritually. We have had a stark, epic reminder of what is always the case. Every single day, constantly, people need to be rescued. And as we see floodwaters rise, picture that as sin waters rising, rebelling against God, people lost in the darkness of their rebellion against God, and they don't even know it, and how they need to be rescued. And that rescue effort is going to take our time and our money, and it's going to be a sacrifice of our comfort. The fo- I mean, you can work this illustration all day long, can't you? <laughs> The folks in Houston could not come to the rescuers. They could not come to the church three hours away sit down and hear the gospel. Someone had to go to them to rescue them. Right? This is the way it is. This is the way it is. And so as you continue to see those images and hear those stories, let it be to us a rare physical reminder of a constant spiritual reality. The one is visible, the other is invisible. Making disciples take sacrificial work then for Christ. Now I want to commend you as a church. We've been doing sign-up Sunday for the whole month of August. It's where we sign up for all of our ministry teams, all the event, events that are going to take place for the next church year. This is our first Sunday of our church year, right? First Sunday of September. And uh, your staff has done some meticulous research on everyone who has signed up, and, and we've compiled some statistics on that. And did you know as a church, depending on how you want to look at it, we have a, a 70 to 80 percent employment rate in our church. 70 to 80 percent employment rate. Yeah, the 80- 20 rule, but we flipped it instead of twenty percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work we got eighty percent of the people doing a hundred percent of the work that's tremendous you are to be commended seventy to eighty percent of this church membership has signed up to serve in this body in some capacity that's wonderful but there's a hidden admonishment isn't there because we have a twenty percent unemployment rate we have a twenty percent and you know what we did? We graciously and, and rightfully—if if, if you're of, of, of an age and an elderly, saint, and and your abilities to do these kinds of things is no more—and what you can do is pray and come. We've we've carved that number out. It's about 25 of you like that. Praise the Lord, you're with us. We love you, and we know that you are a backbone and a prayer warriors in this church. But there's some things that you can't do anymore. and That's okay. Take those folks out of the picture, we still have a 20% unemployment rate of our members. Of our members. And so you are to be admonished to consider where you can sacrificially work for Christ. Our fourth and final pillar is loving witness to Christ. So we started with passionate worship. And personal walk and sacrificial work and now loving witness. If you know your Bibles well, you'll know the answer to these series of questions. Who gave Paul the most grief in his life? Who was the first to run him out of town? Who came behind him to undo his gospel efforts? The answer? The Jews. And yet, this is what he said about them in Romans 9. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. That's Romans 9, 2 and 3. And that is loving witness. These were the people who gave him grief, ran him out of town, chased him from town to town and tried to undo everything he poured his life out for. And he says that he would be, if he could, separated from Christ for the sake of his kinsmen. Who perverted the gospel in the first century? Who kept trying to add law back to the gospel of grace? Who kept trying to add circumcision to repentance? Repentance. The same ones, the Jews and the Judaizers. And yet Paul said this, brethren, Romans 10, 1, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. That is loving witness. Here is Paul giving us an example of not only loving witness, but loving witness to his personal enemies, to those who hated him to those who stoned him, gave him 39 lashes across his back, kicked him out of the synagogue, time after time after time, and all he was doing was giving them good news. And they turned on him like venomous snakes. And he said, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Of course, Paul is rooted in Jesus' own teaching here. Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. The best way you can love your enemy is to witness to them about Jesus Christ. Peter writes, first Peter, mostly to Gentile believers. They were being persecuted by Gentile unbelievers. The Gentile unbelievers of the first century were trying to intimidate the believers to silence them with threats and verbal abuse. When we are intimidated often, when we are abused verbally, when we are persecuted, for some of us, our natural instinct is going to be to lash out, right? Fight back. Don't tread on me. You know, you're the enemy. I'm going to make you the enemy, unbeliever. Our natural instinct, our natural reaction is to fight fire with fire. To rise up in all of our manliness and all of our strength and say, I will not be intimidated by you. And and so how quickly that kind of turns to the flesh. You will not tread on me. You will not use me. You will not abuse me. Have you met my friends, Smith and Wesson? Yeah. That's our natural instinct, isn't it? But what did Peter command? Look at First Peter, First Peter 3 with me for a moment. First Peter 3 and verse 13. What did Peter command of believers whose highest priority is to Christ? Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. First Peter 3, 14, and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. It's literally do not fear their fear. They're, they're terrorists. They're trying to instill fear into you. Don't. Instead, verse 15, how do I not fear their intimidation and how am I not troubled? Verse 15, you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. You set apart Christ as Lord, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's loving witness. So these are people trying to harm them. They're suffering for the sake of righteousness. They're trying to intimidate them. Peter says, you need to get alone, get on your knees, bow your head before King Jesus and set him apart as Lord in your hearts, which means being willing to die for him, being willing to suffer for him. And now you're ready to make a defense. And as you make a defense to these very people who are causing you to suffer, you are to defend the faith with gentleness and reverence. It's literally the word fear again. As we interact with people that would seek to intimidate us, it is to be with Christ-like gentleness and even fear, respect. That, that would be a, a really good translation for reverence. Respect. Respect. You respect that person. You respect what they believe. You respect where they've been. You respect their story. You respect their situation. Respect is not agree. Respect is not commendation. As we're dealing with folks who don't want to hear our message, we are to do this always with gentleness and reverence. This is part of than loving witness. I want to ask this question then. As we consider loving witness. As a fourth and final pillar. What are we missing? As a church. What are we missing? To do loving witness. Are we missing knowledge? Do we not know the gospel? Is that a problem? It's not a problem is it? We know the gospel right? We don't, we don't have a knowledge Problem. Do we not have love? The Bible says the Holy Spirit's been poured in our hearts. The love of God's been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If you're a Christian, I'm a, we have the Holy Spirit. So is love the problem? No. Is opportunity the problem? Do we not have opportunity to have loving witness? Is that a problem? No. Every single unsaved person we encounter is opportunity. However, we might encounter them. So what's missing is not knowledge, nor love, nor opportunity. Then what is missing? And I'm going to suggest an answer to you. And it may be something you've never thought of. I think what is missing. Is accountability. Loving witness is our collective job. As Christians, but we don't hold ourselves and we don't hold each other accountable to do it. We talk about accountability in all kinds of other areas. And we're accountable to show up for work on this week, Tuesday morning, I guess. We're accountable to our spouses at certain places and levels of life. And our kids are accountable to other is everywhere. But all of a sudden we got this whole area of our Christian life that we don't hold each other accountable. I've got some ideas I want to just throw out there and see if any of it sticks this morning. And we're almost done, so just bear with me. I haven't been up here that long, actually. So I have some ideas to encourage accountability to our loving witness. Not ideas to witness. Ideas to encourage our accountability to each other to witness. Here's one. What if we had a members-only section on our website And every member of our church was listed on that website. And you had the ability to go to that website and you plug in the first name of the person you are trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you can put little snippets of updates and success stories and celebrate victories together. And then if we all go to that website and we look and you don't have a name by your name as somebody you're trying to reach, then you just got held accountable. (laughs) Somebody says, "Oh, that sounds like legalism. Is going to work legalism? Is taking out your garbage legalism? Is mowing your yard legalism?" We've we've totally perverted what legalism really is. What would be wrong with this? I would welcome it. I need it personally. This is the kind of pressure that would be good, would it not? Here's another. How about home group leaders? As home groups, some of them start tonight. Ours does. Others do as well. What if home group leaders spend some time in each home group to hold each other accountable for intentional conversations with unbelievers throughout the weeks that you haven't met? Let's talk about how were we intentional this week talking to unbelievers, trying to build a relationship, trying to introduce Christ to them. Let's bring that into the home group discussion. Here's another. What if we had a bring a friend to church day? I know those can kind of be cheesy sometimes. They can maybe go too far. But what if we just had once a year a simple bring a friend to church day? And on our same website with all of the members listed, you put out the first name of the person you you have invited to church. And there's some accountability for each one of us. You can't make anybody come to church, but you can invite. Let me just dream with you for a minute. Let's think outside the box for a minute. Let's think in some ways that Kerbal Bible Church has probably never thought of for a minute. As we think about loving witness as a fourth and final pillar. What if the whole year we did nothing but Sunday school, church, and outreach? What if we took a year as a church and said, we're canceling everything except Sunday school, church, and outreach. And members of our church got involved with a boys club or girls club in Kernville. Or backyard Bible clubs. Or you became a mentor at one of the local elementary schools. Or you coached little league sports with a goal to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Or you looked into getting involved in a jail ministry. Or you did nursing home visits. We've got five or six nursing homes here. Or you did a block party on your street to meet your neighbors. Or you did an evangelistic Bible study at your job. Or an evangelistic Bible study at your house. See, we can't do most of this stuff because we're too busy doing church stuff. Right? But what if we said, what if we acknowledge, you know what, we're full We've been fed and fed and fed and we're so full. Who could we share with now? What if? I'm dreaming now. I'm dreaming, okay? What if those of you in this church who own rental homes in Kerrville, what if you converted your rental home to a sober house? There's many of them already in Kerrville. And instead of requiring The residents of that sober house to go to an AA meeting, you required them to go to biblical counseling and discipleship and church, this church. If you want to live here, here's the conditions. Wow, that would be a sacrifice of comfort, time and money. That would be a sacrifice of my life. On that note, what if we opened a biblical counseling center in town? We hired an executive director, and we staffed it with volunteers from this church who have gone through training to do biblical counseling. What if we said enough of the secular and ungodly and unbiblical counseling that goes on in Kerrville every single day? What if we rose up as a church and said, we're saying enough of that, we're going to give another alternative in our community. What if each family in Awana... Could only come to Awana if they brought an unchurched friend. That's your ticket in. (laughs) What if you could only go to a sporting event if you take an unbeliever with you? Some of you may have missed that one, so I want to say it again. What if you could only go to a sporting event, longhorns, Aggies, Spurs, I mean going to the event, right? And you said, you know what, I'm going to put myself under a new, a new rule. I can only do this if I take an unbeliever. I'm just dreaming. The point is, we cannot fulfill our purpose without loving witness to Christ. It can't be done. It can't be done. And I would say of the four pillars, surely this is our number one weakness. As a church. With accountability structures though. I think it could become our number one strength. I think all that's missing is accountability. I don't think there's anything else missing. Let's pray. Father thank you for. The clarity of your word, Peter has said, for us to always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us. Uh, Paul has written that we are to have, uh, be beautiful feet that bring the gospel. It's part of our armor. Lord, you've called us to sacrificial work and loving witness. There is no doubt. There's no way that can be debated or argued. You've also called us to a personal walk and passionate worship. And these all blend and come together beautifully in the disciples' life. Father, I pray you do with this message what it would please you to do in the hearts of your people here. I pray that we would be challenged and convicted and encouraged and strengthened for the task, the unfinished task of the Great Commission that lies before us.